I'm here to talk to you about something that I don't find terribly interesting, which is me. <clears throat> you know, when you, over the course of the next couple days, you're going to hear from lots of incredibly successful people. A lot of them have these tremendous lives that are about focus on one thing and incredible perseverance and great direction, and it reaches this crescendo, but that's not me. Um, my path through life has been a little bit like what we call in physics a random walk. It's like tracing one of the molecules of air in the room. It bounces this way and that way and the other way. When I was in high school, I was a terrible nerd, or a wonderful nerd. It depends on how you view nerddom. Um, in fact, I'm kind of that way today, to be honest. Well, I went to UCLA initially, and I, um, I got a bachelor's degree in math. And then I got a master's degree in geophysics and space physics. Then I went to Princeton and I got a master's degree in mathematical economics. And then two years later I got a PhD in theoretical physics. A friend of mine says, Nathan, what are you trying to do? Have more degrees than a thermometer? <laughs> now, after going through all these different directions at school, uh, well now I've, now I've come out into life and what am I going to do? Well, of course at each one of these points I knew what I was going to do. It just turned out to be something different two years later. Um, at the time I was finished with all that, I was the ripe old age of 23. Left high school when I was 14, so that excuses a little bit of the misdirection in there. I, I decided I was going to be a physicist. That was a, the last degree I'd gotten. That's really what I wanted to be. I wanted to be an academic uh, doing research in theoretical physics. And I started that way. I got a job at uh, University of Cambridge in England working with Stephen Hawking. And my life was on track. Then I decided I'd take a leave of absence for three months for a summer. Just one little summer. Work on a software project with a couple friends of mine. Well, the end of the summer rolled around and we incorporated a company around the software that we'd been working on. I became the president of the company and I ran it for a couple of years. Uh, then Microsoft Corporation decided to buy us. And so I went on to try to make an ass at of myself. It's important that you get those last two letters in there. I, I don't always. Uh, and I've never gone back to my leave of absence. So I, I spent all this time trying to be an academic, and now I'm a different way. Many of my friends in physics could not forgive me at the time. Uh, last night, I sat down at dinner with one of the many illustrious Nobel Prize winners in physics who said, you know, you almost were one of the good guys. <laughs> so at Microsoft, I, uh, I came and started working there. And first thing I got put on was a project called Windows. I was a development manager on Windows 2.0, the last unsuccessful version of Windows. They got me off the thing, and bam, you know, the rest was history. Well, I, I thought we needed to do. Uh, operating systems for more powerful computers, different kinds of computers, so I started a project that later became called Windows NT. And then I thought, well, there's going to be little pocket computers that people carry around, so I started a project that's now something called Windows CE for little pocket computers. And I decided that we were at a stage in our industry where, in addition to building products, we needed to do research. So I started our research lab, Microsoft Research, which Today has got about 400 researchers uh, on at least three continents, and maybe a few more continents coming. Each of those things was trying to was going in a different direction, 
And in retrospect, some of those directions was, were really good. Some of them worked out. That, that Windows thing kind of worked out. Um, other things didn't work out as well. Uh, and throughout this whole period, I've I believe very much in serendipity and the, the strength of bouncing around. While I've been at Microsoft, for a while I started, I get interested in cooking, always interested in cooking. Well, I started going to uh, a French restaurant in Seattle, and I was cooking one night a week. I did that for a couple years. I said, well, I should get even more serious about this. So I went to chef school in France and learned how to cook. Well, then I got interested in barbecue. <laughs> and it turns out, after getting into it, uh, I've competed twice now in the World Championship of Barbecue in Memphis. <laughs> and we even took first place one year. So, <laughs> the cardiologists in the room aren't the ones who are clapping. <laughs> They're also saying, you know, he was almost one of the good guys. The, uh, Throughout this whole mix of stuff, I, I have found it incredibly invigorating to do something new. On the other hand, you know, I, maybe I'd be further ahead if I'd picked any one of those things and concentrated on it. Uh, for, the, for people who are naturally built to, to concentrate, uh, it would probably be horrible living the scattered life I have. But, but for me, it seems to work. Now, last couple of years, I've gotten interested in dinosaurs. And I've done research in dinosaurs, published a couple papers. Uh, this summer, uh, I'm going to start a one-year leave of absence from Microsoft. <laughs> in fact, the day after I announced I was going to leave absence from Microsoft, I get this piece of email from Stephen Hawking saying, well, I suppose you'll be returning to finish your previous leave of absence. <laughs> and uh, in July, Jack Horner and I, uh, Jack's in the audience, he's the guy who kind of looks like a paleontologist who has a dinosaur claw sticking out of his shirt pocket. Uh, Jack and I are going to go try to dig up some dinosaurs in eastern Montana. Um, and I'm going to try to work on some mathematical physics at the Institute for Advanced Study. And I'm going to try to go back and do a few more science things. So I, I'm not really sure what lessons there are to learn from what, how I've lived and what I've done. I, I don't have ten uh, uh, little principles, as our distinguished speaker a moment ago did. I have never once wrapped a resume around a champagne bottle and somehow have managed to get through life as it is. Um, but I think life is an adventure. And I think as important as it is to have goals and to have things that, are, uh, that you really work on and focus on for a long period of time, it's also important to be passionate about exploration, about looking at seeing what opportunities life will present to you. Uh, I have been fortunate enough to have these uh, opportunities presented to me at various points, and lucky enough to be able to take them. Greetings. My name is Zach Pogue from Las Vegas, Nevada. And my question to you concerns something I studied in a class I took called Information Technology in a Global Society. Mm -hmm. At the end of our textbook, we had a little section from a society, I believe, the ACM Society, of which they made each member sign a code of ethics which they would follow for the software and the other technology they produce. My question to you is, how responsible should the software industry be? How responsible should each individual programmer be for the software they produce for this new information society? And uh, how far should the government 
play a part in the regulation or the implementation of a code of ethics as we go into the 20th, 21st century? Well, it's a very important question because technology is changing our lives, and it will change our lives in ways that are very good and in ways that are not so good. Uh, any sufficiently powerful trend in society is like a mirror. It, it, in, in this technology, we see a reflection of ourselves, both our best features and our warts and other things we, we wouldn't like to see. Uh, it's a great idea to say everyone in the software industry should be responsible for what we do and, and the actions, but you're also fooling yourself if you think you can predict all of the things people will do with it. Uh, the power of the internet, for example, is not about the technology. It's not about the bits and the bytes and the, the, all of the stuff going around. The power is in what people do with it, how people communicate, what they use to, to take that with. And there isn't anyone who's responsible for that but the people themselves. So I, I have no doubt that we will see nearly any piece of technology misused at some po point, you know, whether that's people putting child pornography on the internet or it's people arranging crimes via email or, or, or whatever. You know. Before the invention of the telephone, telephone fraud wasn't a crime. I mean, it didn't exist. After the telephone, well, there it is. You know, couldn't drunk drive so well on a horse. Um, <laughs> it, ultimately, society as a whole has to be responsible. And it, although it's always tempting to point at somebody else and say, well, they're the ones, they're the, they better take care of it, it's really it's like that mirror. You point in a mirror and you're pointing back at yourself. Thank you. Yes, I wanted to ask, obviously it was an incredible springboard for you into everything from theoretical physics to barbecue, but would you still think that um, a mathematics degree, in, as you might get as an undergraduate today, is a good way to launch yourself into a variety of careers that it, that it I don't know, trains you to think in a way that's applicable to lots of different careers? Well, it, it all depends on you. You know, mathematics is about ways of thinking logically in a formal, structured sense. Uh, and as such, it's applicable to all kinds of things. The uh, physics uh, is about applying the language of mathematics in describing the, how the physical world works. And it's incredibly successful because if you put something in mathematical formalism, it's easy for other people to understand and to make predictions and to make extensions. It's a very powerful language. But if it's not the mode of thinking that appeals to you, then no, that isn't the way to go. And I know lots of brilliant, enormously successful people who aren't as comfortable thinking in a mathematical sense uh, as I would be. I, I loved math as a kid and, and still do. Uh, and I love the notion of applying it to the real world, which is what physics uh, was about. So in, in all of those areas, it was important for me, but I, I can't say, oh yeah, that's exactly the, the way to follow. I mean, the, every one of my career jumps is a non sequitur. Uh, when I applied to the chef school in France, they, told, they sent back this thing and said, well, sir, you neglected to enclose your resume. I said, well, okay. <laughs> I call up and said, sir, would this be a change of career? <laughs> and <laughs> I said, well, not a change so much. It kind of fits in, believe it or not. Um, I, I can't tell you that math is the only way to go, but if it's something that appeals to you and you're really good at it and you're passionate about it, by all means. I think uh, Mervyn will take okay. questions. I think that's it for the questions. Thanks very much. You can come ask me later.